Chapter Nine of French Medieval Romances from the Lays of Marie de France. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry O'Neill. French Medieval Romances from the Lays of Marie de France by Marie de France, translated by Eugene Mason. Chapter Nine, The Lay of the Ash Tree. Now I will tell you the lay of the ash-tree, according to the story that I know. In ancient days there dwelt two knights in Brittany, who were neighbors and close friends. These two lords were brave and worthy gentlemen, rich in goods and lands, and near both in heart and home. Moreover, each was wedded to a dame. One of these ladies was with child, and when her time was come, she was delivered of two boys. Her husband was right happy and content. For the joy that was his, he sent messages to his neighbor, telling that his wife had brought forth two sons, and praying that one of them might be christened with his name. The rich man was at meat when the messenger came before him. The servitor knelt before the dais and told his message in his ear. The Lord thanked God for the happiness that had befallen his friend, and bestowed a fair horse on the bringer of good tidings. His wife, sitting at board with her husband, heard the story of the messenger, and smiled at his news. Proud she was, and sly, with an envious heart and a rancorous tongue. She made no effort to bridle her lips, but spoke lightly before the servants of the house, and said, I marvel greatly that so reputable a man as our neighbor should publish his dishonor to my lord. It is a shameful thing for any wife to have two children at a birth. We all know that no woman brings forth two at one bearing, except two husbands have aided her therein. Her husband looked upon her in silence for a while, and when he spoke it was to blame her very sternly. Wife, he said, be silent. It is better to be dumb than to utter such words as these. As you know well, there is not a breath to tarnish this lady's good name. The folk of the house, who listened to these words, stored them in their hearts, and told abroad the tale spoken by their lady. Very soon it was known throughout Brittany. Greatly was the lady blamed for her evil tongue, and not a woman who heard thereof, whether she were rich or poor, but who scorned her for her malice. The servant who carried the message, on his return, repeated to his lord of what he had seen and heard. Passing heavy was the night, and knew not what to do. He doubted his own true wife, and suspected her the more sorely, because she had done naught that was in any way amiss. The lady who so foully slandered her fellow fell with child in the same year. Her neighbor was avenged upon her, for when her term was come, she became the mother of two daughters. Sick at heart was she. She was right sorrowful, and lamented her evil case. Alas, she said, what shall I do, for I am dishonored for all my days? Shamed I am, it is the simple truth. When my lord and his kinsfolk shall hear of what has chanced, they will never believe me a stainless wife. They will remember how I judged all women in my plight. They will recall how I said before my house 
that my neighbor could not have been doubly a mother unless she had first been doubly a wife. I have the best reason now to know that I was wrong, and I am caught in my own snare. She who digs a pit for another cannot tell that she may not fall into the hole herself. If you wish to speak loudly concerning your neighbor, it is best to say nothing of him but in praise. The only way to keep me from shame is that one of my children should die. It is a great sin, but I would rather trust to the mercy of God than suffer scorn and reproach for the rest of my life. The women about her comforted her as best they might in this trouble. They told her frankly that they would not suffer such wrong to be done, since the slaying of a child was not reckoned a jest. The lady had a maiden near her person, whom she had long held and nourished. The damsel was a freeman's daughter, and was greatly loved and cherished of her mistress. When she saw the lady's tears, and heard the bitterness of her complaint, anguish went to her heart like a knife. She stooped over her lady, striving to bring her comfort. Lady, she said, take it not so to heart. Give over this grief, for all will yet be well. You shall deliver me one of these children, and I will put her so far from you that you shall never see her again, nor no shame because of her. I will carry her safe and sound to the door of a church. There I will lay her down. Some honest man shall find her, and, please God, will be at the cost of her nourishing. Great joy had the lady to hear these words. She promised the maiden that in recompense of her service she would grant her such guerdon as she should wish. The maiden took the babe, yet smiling in her sleep, and wrapped her in a linen cloth. Above this she set a piece of sanguine silk, brought by the husband of this dame from a bazaar in Constantinople, fairer was never seen. With a silken lace they bound a great ring to the child's arm. This ring was of fine gold, weighing fully an ounce, and was set with garnets most precious. Letters were graven thereon, so that those who found the maid might understand that she came of a good house. The damsel took the child, and went out from the chamber. When night was come, and all was still, she left the town, and sought the high road leading through the forest. She held on her way, clasping the baby to her breast, till from afar, to her right hand, she heard the howling of dogs and the crowing of cocks. She deemed that she was near a town, and went the lighter for the hope, directing her steps there whence the noises came. Presently the damsel entered in a fair city, where there was an abbey, both great and rich. This abbey was worshipfully ordered, with many nuns in their office in degree, and an abbess in charge of all. The maiden gazed upon the mighty house, and considered its towers and walls, and the church with its belfry. She went swiftly to the door, and setting the child upon the ground, kneeled humbly to make her prayer. Lord, said she, for the sake of thy holy name, if such be thy will, preserve this child from death. Her petition ended, the maiden looked about her, and saw an ash-tree, planted to give shadow in a sunny place. It was a fair tree, thick and leafy, and was divided into four strong branches. The maiden took the child again in her arms, and running to the ash, set her within the tree. There she left her, commending her to the care of God. 
So she returned to her mistress, and told her all that she had done. Now in this abbey was a porter, whose duty it was to open the doors of the church before folk came to hear the service of God. This night he rose at his accustomed hour, lighted candles and lamps, rang the bells, and set wide the doors. His eyes fell upon the silken stuff within the ash. He thought at first that some bold thief had hidden his spoil within the tree. He felt with his hand to discover what it might be, and found that it was a little child. The porter praised God for his goodness. He took the babe, and going again to his house, called to his daughter, who was a widow, with an infant yet in the cradle. "'Daughter,' he cried, "'get from bed at once. Light your candle and kindle the fire. I bring you a little child whom I have found within our ash. Take her to your breast. Cherish her against the cold, and bathe her in warm water.' The widow did, according to her father's will. She kindled a fire, and, taking the babe, washed and cherished her in her need. Very certain she was, when she saw that rich stuff of crimson samite and the golden ring about the arm, that the girl was come of an honourable race. The next day, when the office was ended, the porter prayed the abbess that he might have speech with her as she left the church. He related his story, and told of the finding of the child. The abbess bade him to fetch the child, dressed in such fashion as she was discovered in the ash. The porter returned to his house, and showed the babe right gladly to his name. The abbess observed the infant closely, and said that she would be at the cost of her nourishing, and would cherish her as a sister's child. She commanded the porter strictly to forget that he took her from the ash. In this manner it chanced that the maiden was tended of the abbess. The lady considered the maid as her niece, and since she was taken from the ash, gave her the name of Fren. By this name she was known of all within the abbey precincts where she was nourished. When Fren came to that age in which a girl turns to woman, there was no fairer maiden in Brittany, nor so sweet a damsel. Frank she was, and open, but discreet in semblance and in speech. To see her was to love her, and to prize her smile above the beauty of the world. Now at Dole there lived a lord of whom much good was spoken. I will tell you his name. The folk of his country called him Barone. This lord heard speak of the maiden, and began to love her, for the sweetness men told of her. As he rode home from some tournament he passed near the convent, and prayed the abbess that he might look upon her niece. The abbess gave him his desire. Greatly was the maiden to his mind, very fair he found her, sweetly schooled and fashioned, modest and courteous to all. If he might not win her to his love, he counted himself the more forlorn. The lord was at his wit's end, for he knew not what to do. If he repaired often to the convent, the abbess would consider the cause of his comings, and he would never again see the maiden with his eyes. One thing only gave him a little hope. Should he endow the abbey of his wealth, he would make it his debtor for ever. In return he might ask a little room where he might abide to have their fellowship, and at times withdraw him from the world. This he did. He gave richly of his goods to the abbey. 
Often, in return, he went to the convent, but for other reasons than for penitence and peace. He besought the maiden, and with prayers and promises persuaded her to set upon him her love. When this lord was assured that she loved him, on a certain day he reasoned with her in this manner. Fair friend, said he, since you have given me your love, come with me, where I can cherish you before all the world. You know as well as I that if your aunt should perceive our friendship, she would be passing wrath and grieve beyond measure. If my counsel seems good, let us flee together, you with me and I with you. Certes, you shall never have cause to regret your trust, and of my riches you shall have the half. When she who loved so fondly heard these words, she granted of her tenderness that it pleased him to have, and followed after where he would. Fren fled to her lover's castle, carrying with her that silken cloth and ring which might do her service on a day. These the abbess had given her again, telling her how one morning at prime she was found upon an ash, this ring and samite her only wealth, since she was not her niece. Right carefully had friend guarded her treasure from that hour. She shut them closely in the little chest, and this coffret she bore with her in her flight, for she would neither lose them nor forget. The lord with whom the maiden fled loved and cherished her very dearly. Of all the men and servants of his house there was not one, either great or small, but who loved and honoured her for her simplicity. They lived long together in love and content, till the fair days passed, and trouble came upon this lord. The knights of his realm drew together, and many a time urged that he should put away his friend, and wed some rich gentlewoman. They would be joyous, if a son were born, to come after to his fief and heritage. The peril was too great to suffer that he remained a bachelor, and without an heir. Never more would they hold him as lord, or serve him with a good heart, if he would not do according to their will. There being naught else to do, the lord deferred to this council of his knights, and begged them to name the lady whom he needs must wed. Sir, answered they, there is a lord of these parts, privy to our council, who has but one child, a maid, his only heir. Broad lands will he give her as her dowry. This maiden's name is Kudra, and in all this country there is none so fair. Be advised, throw away the ash-rod you carry, and take the hazel as your staff. The ash is a barren stalk, but the hazel is thick with nuts and delight. We shall be content if you take this maiden as your wife, so it be to the will of God, and she be given to you of her kinsfolk. Baron demanded the hand of the lady in marriage, and her father and kin betrothed her to the Lord. Alas! it was hid from all that these two were twin sisters. It was friend's lot to be doubly abandoned, and to see her lover become her sister's husband. When she learned that her friend purposed taking to himself a wife, she made no outcry against his falseness. She continued to serve her lord faithfully, and was diligent in the business of his house. The sergeant and the varlet were marvellously wrathful, when they knew that she must go from amongst them. 
On the day appointed for the marriage, Barone bade his friends and acquaintance to the feast. Together with these came the archbishop and those of Dole who held of him their lands. His betrothed was brought to his house by her mother. Great dread had the mother because of friend, for she knew of the love that the Lord bore the maiden, and feared lest her daughter should be a stranger in her own hall. She spoke to her son-in-law, counselling him to send friend from his house and to find her an honest man for her husband. Thus there would be quittance between them. Very splendid was the feast. Whilst all was mirth and jollity, the damsel visited the chambers to see that each was ordered to her lord's pleasure. She hid the torment in her heart, and seemed neither troubled nor downcast. She compassed the bride with every fair observance, and waited upon her daintily. Her courage was marvellous to that company of lords and ladies who observed her curiously. The mother of the bride regarded her also, and praised her privily. She said aloud that had she known the sweetness of this lady, she would not have taken her lover from her, nor spoiled her life for the sake of the bride. The night being come, the damsel entered in the bridal chamber to deck the bed against her lord. She put off her mantle, and, calling the chamberlains, showed them how their master loved to lie. His bed being softly arrayed, a coverlet was spread upon the linen sheets. Friend looked upon the coverlet. In her eyes it showed too mean a garnishing for so fair a lord. She turned it over in her mind, and going to her coffret, she took therefrom that rich stuff of sanguine silk, and set it on the couch. This she did not only in honour of her friend, but that the archbishop might not despise the house, when he blessed the marriage-bed according to the rite. When all was ready, the mother carried the bride to that chamber where she should lie to disarray her for the night. Looking upon the bed, she marked the silken coverlet, for she had never seen so rich a cloth, save only that in which she wrapped her child. When she remembered of this thing her heart turned to water, she summoned a chamberlain. Tell me, she said, tell me in good faith where this garniture was found. Lady, he made reply, that you shall know. Our damsel spread it on the bed, because this docil is richer than the coverlet that was there before. The lady called for the damsel. Friend came before her in haste, being yet without her mantle. All the mother moved within her, as she plied her with questions. Fair friend, hide it not a whit from me. Tell me truly where this fair Samite was found, whence it came, who gave it to you. Answer swiftly, and tell me who bestowed on you this cloth. The damsel made answer to her, Lady, my aunt, the abbess, gave me this silken stuff, and charged me to keep it carefully. At the same time she gave me a ring, which those who put me forth had bound upon me. Fair friend, may I see this ring? Certes, lady, I shall be pleased to show it. The lady looked closely on the ring when it was brought. She knew again her own, and the crimson Samite flung upon the bed. No doubt was in her mind. She knew and was persuaded that friend was her very child. All words were spoken, and there was nothing more to hide. Thou art my daughter, fair friend. Then, for reasons of the pity that was hers, she fell to the ground and lay in a swoon. 
When the lady came again to herself, she sent for her husband, who, all adread, hastened to the chamber. He marvelled the more sorely when his wife fell at his feet, and, embracing him closely, entreated pardon for the evil that she had done. Knowing nothing of her trespass, he made reply, "'Wife, what is this? Between you and me there is nothing to call for forgiveness. Pardon you may have for whatever fault you please. Tell me plainly, what is your wish?' "'Husband, my offence is so black that you had better give me absolution before I tell you the sin. A long time ago, by reason of lightness and malice, I spoke evil of my neighbour, when, as she bore two sons at birth, I fell afterwards into the very pit that I had digged. Though I told you that I was delivered of a daughter, the truth is that I had borne two maids. One of these I wrapped in our stuff of Samite, together with the ring you gave me the first time we met, and caused her to be laid beside a church. Such a sin will out. The cloth and the ring I have found, and I have recognized our maid, whom I had lost by my own folly, she is this very damsel, so fair and amiable to all, whom the knight so greatly loved. Now we have married the lord to her sister. The husband made answer, Wife, if your sin be double, our joy is manifold. Very tenderly hath God dealt with us, in giving us back our child. I am altogether joyous and content to have two daughters for one. Daughter, come to your father's side." The damsel rejoiced greatly to hear this story. Her father tarried no longer, but seeking his brother-in-law, brought him to the archbishop and related the adventure. The knight knew such joy as was never yet. The archbishop gave counsel that on the morrow he would part him and her whom he had joined together. This was done, for in the morning he severed them, bed and board. Afterwards he married friend to her friend and her father accorded the damsel with a right good heart. Her mother and sister were with her at the wedding, and for her dowry her father gave her half of his heritage. When they returned to their own realm, they took Kudra, their daughter, with them. There she was granted to a lord of those parts, and rich was the feast. When this adventure was bruited abroad, and all the story, the lay of the ash-tree was written, so called of the lady, named friend. End of chapter 9